you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You're listening to Dave Damashek. You're listening to Dave Damashek. You're listening to Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, football fans. Dave Damashek again. Welcome to Side B of uh, of this week's podcast. Rank still in here. Elliot Harrison along for the ride. As Fellas, Blue Oyster Colt says, time to play B-sides. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we are, uh, again, this is the second half of episode number 27. And fellas, right out of the gate, before we uh, before we proceed here, we forgot to uh, take care of business here. We always honor the episode number by talking about what player in sports history wore it best. In the NFL, number 27, Eddie George wore it. Off the top of my head, who else wore 27? There's got to be Greg Hawthorne of the Steelers jumps to mind. Here, here's oh, where Elliot jumps in with uh, Ron Fellows. Ron Fellows. <laughs> that was solid. Solid. 27. Glenn Edwards, Steelers I safety. I could, in yeah, the 70s, and went man. on to the Chargers. Uh, had a nice I mean, I guess there. I could go Willie Williams, but. Uh, yeah, Willie Williams, right? Uh, 27. It's another number where some enterprising young uh, running back could come up and just say, you know we what? we got to be forgetting this. somebody. But no, right? Eddie George is pretty good, though. What number does uh, does Ray Rice wear? He's twenty seven, right? Yes, he's right. Uh, so maybe twenty seven or thirty seven. He might no. Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yeah, and and so I'm surprised by that. You think more numbers would jump out? Ronnie Hextall is the first twenty seven that comes to my mind. The uh, Philadelphia Flyers loathed some netminder for all those years. First guy to actually Guerrero? shoot the Vladimir puck. Guerrero. Vlad Guerrero. That's right. Yep. Um, Craig Adams, Scott Niedermeyer. Oh, then I that means uh, Mike Trout wears twenty seven. Is that true? Yeah, because he took Vladdy's number. That's this right. is more of a question than a statement. Glenn Davis, the old Astros power hitting first baseman, wasn't he? Uh, that sounds right. 27 that sounds, sounds about right. right. That guy yeah. hit a lot of bombs troubles. in a stadium that wasn't very supportive. Of uh, he had a, a lot great of stroke. Great. Matt Kemp. But would he have been one of those Ken Phelps guys? And don't forget also, and well, kept bad. telling me, Ken Tacovi, Teak Tacovi, out on the hump in, uh, to close out uh, the Orioles in the 79 World Series in the uh, old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. Um, and. Uh, and let's not forget Carlton Fisk in his Red Sox days. Flipped it over to that's, uh, uh, that's flipped a it good over. one. Juan Marichal. Juan Marichal, the sure. great pitcher. Some might say he's the best one. That Who was are we the... going to say? Catfish Hunter? Who are you? Scott Niedermeyer we gloss over, but uh, as, a, as a great uh, defenseman in hockey, if anybody cares about that, Scott Niedermeyer isn't a bad name. Who that are, was always so was strange Fisk? When, when Fisk went to 72 with the White Sox. Remember the White Sox had the number on yeah. the pant leg? And 72 is just a weird number for a baseball player to have. In hindsight, everybody loves to talk about the Bill Vack, the black and white uh, uniforms with the shorts and everything. Those early 80s ones with Tony La Russa when they won the pennant with Ron Kittle and uh, Lamar Hoyt and that very night Richard Dotson. Ooh, that's a good game. How many uh, of those 83 uh, division-winning White Sox can I name? I'm not doing it now. The point is, those uniforms are awful. They're 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 underratedly with hideous. The, with the big socks, it's the one of the big socks. Just says socks oh, in yeah. blue with the red. You know which oh, ones yeah. I'm talking about. Absolutely. So so eighties, so mid eighties looking. Um. So I, who are we gonna go with here? We're we gonna go Eddie George. We're we gonna go 
Juan Marichal. Well, I just went through kind of in my head all the divisions, all the 27s, and all the 27s I can think of in NFL history are pretty much like decent defensive backs that you might yeah. remember. Like I thought of Mike Richardson was a starter on the 85 Bears. He played opposite Leslie Frazier. Sure. But I can't think of... There's just not 27. This is a bad is number. A, this is I'll a bad worst number. I'm going to say Vladimir Guerrero. Vlad Guerrero. All That's right, solid. I'll sign off on that. Okay, Rank, you win this Back-to-back back Angels. Yeah, there you go. Glenn Edwards, though, could play. All right, so Glenn Edwards, fine. Let's start there. He has a lot of pals that he played with, at least in the first part of his career, that are now in the Hall of Fame. A lot of the Pittsburgh Steelers there. Bill Cower. Let's mm-hmm. talk. I wanted to get into the Hall of Fame here. EH, actually, I know you really wanted the kibitz about this. What about the names out there? Who jumps out at you? Who belongs? Who doesn't? You actually, you wrote a nice column there, EH, on NFL.com about the top 10 candidates for this year. Give us a quick review here. Well, whenever you reference articles that I've written that you haven't read, it's always extra. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a reader. Extra interesting to me. But it was a, it was a, it was a photo essay. Uh, you don't I, embarrass me like that. that. Adam and my uh, our lovely editor asked me to do, but we took the 103 names on the list. The nominees got released on Wednesday, and we basically I looked at them and I picked the top 10 guys that I feel like should be in the Hall of Fame sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some tough cuts there. Uh, Bill Cower, for example, didn't make the list, and I'm going to reference did not make did, did not did not make my top ten, and I'm going to reference something that that you as a Steeler fan have often said that home playoff games during his tenure not good. No, I well, I, I you're not going to get any argument from me that he, he somehow. I always would say this about him while you know when he was right in the middle of those teams when they would be thirteen and three and have home field and everything else. His whole vibe, that spitting thing and the jaw out, and everybody gets into that. Um, I think it's the same thing, and he comes from not coincidentally <clears throat> the Marty Schottenheimer philosophy. That's who you know. That's who whose knee he learned at. And Marty Schottenheimer, I think, same problem uh, that those guys get their team their team so jacked up that they really do go into the locker room before a big game and give a rah rah speech. And we gotta get him. This is our house. All that kind of jazz. Mm-hmm. I think that puts you in the wrong frame of mind if you're favored to win somehow. It creates a sense that you know this is our time. We got to get it done here. I think it creates a sense that if when when something goes against you, that you know that the snowball starts going against you. I think you want to create a sense with professional athletes. You hear that all the time. I, I don't say anything. What did, what did you say to the team before they? I didn't say anything. I'm sure they're ready. They're professional athletes. I don't have to give a speech to get them ready for the game. I think that sort of mentality works better in the 21st century. Mike Tomlin, Belichick, the list goes on and on. They those I think people respond better to not getting them all what's, amped up like that. What Super Bowl was it when Bill Belichick just came out in front of his team and read the parade route? That was uh, the Eagles. That would have been uh, Super Bowl 39. Yeah, that kind of approach seems to work because you look at Schottenheimer, you look at Cower, I'd throw Tony Dungy in there. Three coaches that have had great careers, long careers, a lot of regular season wins, two Super Bowls, which is astonishingly low for as many wins as they've put up. I, I, I agree with Adam. The Belichick that you cite that where he showed the parade route, he did that the day before the game uh, on a, you know, a Saturday meeting or whatever, and he did it on the projector and showed, literally showed the parade route. And then that sticks in the guy's head overnight, and I think that's an interesting way to approach it. What I find ironic in your statement, though, is that the Steelers are most well-known for beating the Cowboys in Super Bowl X and Super Bowl XIII, two awesome Super Bowls. 
uh, Tom Landry's approach was exactly the the way that you feel like in a perfect world it should be. Tom Landry well, was not it's not the, ironic because consider who was in the other locker room. Who was talking to the Steelers? The Emperor Chaz Knoll. He was not giving fiery speeches himself. He was sort of a guy who very much like Bill Belichick today was a do your job. We'll we'll win. Same that with was Landry. his philosophy. Yeah. You know, not not getting crazy and throwing stuff around and, you know, giving these epic speeches. I just one little last thought on that. I'll tell you a guy who was actually a hothead that's not remembered that way is Don Shula. Don Shula, we always remember him as kind of this gray-haired, nice guy. When Don Shula was a young coach for the Colts and the Mm -hmm. Dolphins, he'd get fired up, and he would tell his players what he thought, and he would run some really hard practices. And I think it's always interesting how he's kind of looked at as like almost like a Santa Claus, Mary figure of the NFL when he was anything but. Yeah, I I, I, well, was, I did know that, but I think that young people are familiar with him just sort of standing back and watching Marino uh, try and win games with his arm. Yeah, they they forget how he started out. I remember him blowing Super Bowl three as the coach of the Colts. You do not. That's what I think of him when I think of Don. Schumer. Oh, I thought you meant. I, I thought you were saying you actually remember. Yeah, I remember that. that. Yes, I'm say, not that old. Am I that that's crazy what I think that of. Them. I don't know your age. Now, Bill Parcells is also nominated. Are you putting him into the? Hall? Yeah, and and I actually I'll get to that. I'll, I'll tell you guys how I approached it so I I ranked him from 10 to 1 obviously 10th being the most borderline guy that needs to get in right now and number one being a shoe in Chris uh, Chris Carter number one Chris Carter was not number one top 10 do we want to stop 10 do we right, want to start ten? let's do 10 and then let's work on all right so my I'll give you I'll go from, if I try to react if I try to react to all 10 of these this is going to be two hours though well, my so my my two can I do it like uh storage wars and it's gonna yep or a nope <laughs> yeah <laughs> So my my two toughest cuts at 12 and 11 were Mike Ken, the great Falcons left tackle at 12 and 11, uh, with Steve Tasker, the greatest special teamer of all time. But, I'll say Ken, no. Tasker, yep. Okay. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> ranks, enough. But, ranks but, hot new bit. But my, <laughs> hey, no, but my, yep. Kind of like the wide-knotted tie. But the Herb Tarlick tie look is awesome. Uh Number 10 was a guy who, like Tasker, was a great special teams player, but became an incredible wide receiver, and that's Tim Brown. Nope! Uh, Tim Brown was a great returner. Wrong, wrong, and wrong, wrong. a la Rod Woodson, the Raiders didn't want to burn up a guy returning kicks all mm-hmm. the time. So eventually they took him off the punt return team. But for his career, he averaged over 25 yards per kick return and over 10 yards per punt return. And, oh, by the way, he caught a th- thousand balls. So. I go, yup. On, uh, is it, wait, is it, yup? Yeah, I think Tim Brown obviously eventually gets into the Hall of Fame, uh, but I do say Chris Carter goes first. I assume we're getting to him. Number nine. Uh, Dermonte Dawson, Steelers center, number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominant whatever. center for yep. a yeah, generation, the best center don't, in the right. league. Don't be the guy who's, I'm going to list my favorite bands, and I'm going to pick six indie bands that nobody's ever heard of, just so I seem smarter. That's how I feel that some people, not you, I don't say that to you, because I feel I you know the game and you're like, but a lot of NFL writers I feel do that disingenuous thing. I don't get it from you, but I mean a lot of I'm talking about other people. So no or yup? I say yeah, yep. <laughs> Number eight, uh, Gilbrandt, Cowboys uh, personnel of executive. Of course, it's for, remarkable he's not. Yep, our yeah. pal. Uh, number seven, Terrell Davis. Uh, I felt I, I like dominance in a short run better than pretty good in a long run. I know that it goes against the Tim Brown, but Tim yep. Brown hit some incredible milestones. Uh, so Terrell Davis at number seven. I worry that if the further away we get from him, a lot of these guys who weren't worthy of the Hall of Fame 30, 40, 50 years ago, now people look back and say, yeah, put him in the Hall of Fame. 
as we get further away. I think the opposite's going to happen to Davis. He better get in fairly soon because I don't think 40 years from now people are going to have as much regard for for what he did. But if you watched him play, obviously, people th- this thing about that Dan Marino never won the big one kind of thing and and you know Peyton Manning now has his ring and all that sort of stuff. John Elway would never have won a, a Super Bowl had it not been for Terrell Davis. Let's not forget that. Let's make sure everybody remembers that John Elway's legacy would be very different if Terrell Davis. It could have been any number of quarterbacks had it been uh, had, had uh, Terrell da- who would have won the Super Bowl. John Elway was not some outstanding guy, difference-making guy in those two Super Bowl years. Proceed, E.H. Well, I, I totally agree. And if he hadn't thrown three interceptions in the first half, he wouldn't have had to have all those come-from-behind victories. But that's a whole nother deal. Okay, number six, uh, Eric Coriel. I think Don Coriel, as maybe he didn't win a lot of things. You know, he won some division titles, but I think as an innovator, his stamp is irrevocable. Hailed by all people. I I didn't realize until until he passed away actually how many people cite him as their primary mentor, their primary influence on on philosophy. It's an absolute joke that he was not put into the Hall of Fame while he was still alive. Ridiculous. Agreed. Number five, uh, maybe a surprise here, but uh, Cortez Kennedy, Seahawks defensive tackle. Sure. Great player. I, I, I used uh, one season as my entry point with him. 1992, the Seahawks had Dan McGuire and Stan Gelball at quarterback. They went 2-14, and 14, yet Cortez Kennedy was defensive player of the year and had 14 sacks from an interior lineman. That's incredible. Analogous to Leroy Selman, a guy who toiled yes. on lousy teams, and so you forget uh, uh, how dominant he was. Yes. Yes. Uh, next one in line at uh, number four was Willie Rofe. Made the all-decade team of the 90s and the 2000s. All right. I You know, I, I do struggle. I uh, To Rank's point earlier, and we've talked about this before, I struggle with offensive linemen. I know Dermani Dawson was dominant because I was living in Pittsburgh at the time, and that's what you always heard about, and that he's, you know, following in the shoes of Mike Webster and, you know, now Marquise Pouncey, another great Steeler center. But I have no ability to divine how good an individual offensive lineman is by watching a game. And, and by the way, neither does just about anybody else. You sit there, break down the film EH to your credit, so you can speak about that. It, well, the one thing I like about Rofe, too, is his last four years were in Kansas City, 02 to 05. You remember how good those Chiefs offenses mm-hmm. were with Trent Green and Priest Holmes. Right. And I love it when a guy retires after being all pro. I mean, Willie Rofe made four straight Pro Bowls at the end of his career and said, all right, peace out. Uh, next guy on the list, number three, Chris Carter. Uh, it's it's crazy. This is, the, this is the most loco thing I think there is. How is Chris Carter? You know, It's not just raw numbers. It's not Art Monk or Tim Brown in it. This is this is he was dynamite. What what is what what am I missing about his career that doesn't just naturally put him into the Hall of Fame already? It's yeah, crazy. I think people really legitimately hated him. What like he was hate? not a good guy, and oh. people don't like him. He wore this eye black on above his eyes instead of below him, like that kind of stuff. People just well, I mean that's not wouldn't be the first time if that is in fact your hypothesis. Say people have he, been kept yeah, down. He, Ted Williams and beyond. Yes, certainly. The media can hold down a man because they don't like him personally. Well, with Carter, I just like the quality aspect. I mean, obviously he has the quantity with the number of catches, uh, but I like the quality. Yeah, The fact that he had 130 touchdowns. And how many of his 1,100 catches, whatever it was, how many of them were shoestring uh, on third and eight, 
getting your your feet down. I mean, he was a clutch performer. So Most dynamic catchers of all time might be John Jefferson, Lynn Swan, and uh, and Chris Carter. All right, let's wrap it up. Okay, uh, number two, Charles Haley, five Super Bowl rings, seven That's championship game appearances. It's insane. I don't another get what's guy going on that I probably guy is disliked personally. He doesn't like him. him he's yet. not in. It's ridiculous that he's not in. Should have been in a long time ago. Absolutely. Number one, number one, should have been first ballot. Number one, this one is a slam dunk to me. It's got to be the tuna. Head coach Bill Parcells, an ultimate winner, uh, turned around uh, several franchises, two-time Super Bowl winner, also took the Patriots to the Super Bowl. I think his greatest accomplishment was taking the one in fifteen Jets of '96. That's right, and having them in the that. AFC Championship game in '98. That was insane to me. So that was our number one slam dunk Hall of Famer. All right, I, 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 I agree with you. The only thing I'll say is his legacy would be very different if Scott Norwood makes that kick. He would. I, I wonder if we would still hail him in the same way if Scott Norwood makes that kick. If he only has the one Super Bowl. I hear what you're saying. I completely agree with you about the Jets, by the way. But I think that it, we would not think we would not just kiss him into legendary coaching status, obviously, if he only had one Super Bowl. How different would his legacy have been had Bill Belichick not been his defensive coordinator? Well, we talked about Belichick already. He had, they, yeah, had L, they had uh, LT. That was the biggest difference. But it's, All right. This, I mean, he, but he, no, no, no. Everybody is assuming, just based on what he did with the Giants, that that translates. I mean, yeah, he got the Jets the AFC Championship game. He didn't get them to the Super Bowl. They didn't win a Super Bowl. He went to Dallas and all these other stops. He didn't his his career got worse as he kept going on. He had the two Super Bowls, and then his next stop, he got his team to a championship game, and then his next stop is never team easy to go to different franchises. Very few guys succeed in multiple franchises. Parcells did that about as well as anybody. Um, but EH, we got to go. But what, but this talk about what would have happened if Scott Norwood hadn't made the kick, this leads us naturally. Thank you, EH, uh, NFL.com, NFL Network, NFL Fantasy Live, and beyond. Be, be on the lookout for him. But uh, this does lead us naturally in to installment number three. That's right. It's time for another round of the NFL. The alternate universe. The bizarro world. The twilight zone. When it comes to football, they are all quite real. If only in the mind of Dave Damashek. This is not the NFL. This is the NFL. That's right, everybody. Time for another NFL. In week one of the 2010 season, Kevin Cobb got bonked on the head by the Packers, forcing Mike Vick into the starting role for the bulk of the season. We now know that Vick took the opportunity and ran with it, returning the Eagles to the playoffs and himself to being one of the league's biggest stars and one of its highest paid, too. And as the cherry on top, he's now even considered a reformed soul. But what if Kevin Cobb hadn't gotten concussed? Well... Cobb would have done just fine, as in unspectacular, as in 8-8, eight and eight, maybe 9-7, and seven, and out of the playoffs. Mike Vick would have grown frustrated, eventually lashing out at Andy Reid through the media. Residents of Mount Pius wouldn't have liked that one bit, because they still perceived Vick as a ne'er-do-well who should be thankful to be anywhere near a football field. He'd have been run out of town, and since Cincy was one place he was considering before Kamish Goodell supposedly pushed him towards Philly, let's say he winds up a Bengal. With Vic under center in Cincy, Carson Palmer would have been allowed to walk away. So where better for him to land than where most retirees go? Arizona. He takes the gamble that he can overcome the curse of Emmett, Edge, and Boomer, and he thinks he's going to go the way of Kurt Warner. But then the poor red-headed pale old guy steps in the Arizona sun in August and disintegrates. 
If you think that's a shame, same exact thing happens to Card's 2011 second-round pick, Andy Dalton. Andy Reid, meantime, is down and out in Philly. He's depressed, so what's he do? He turns to food. One night, he hits a 24-hour all-you-can-eat joint, and who's he run into? Donovan McNabb. Rumors begin swirling about a reunion on the Eagles. But then Reed and McNabb shocked the world by announcing their mutual retirement in favor of opening Don and Big A's cheesesteaks, which quickly goes under after the two owners eat all the product. Kevin Cobb tucks tail and moves on to snowy Minnesota, where he battles and loses the starting job to Christian Ponder. Back to Vic, things start off rough in week one of the 2011 season when Cincy pays a visit to Cleveland, the home of the dog pound. rut row. After that, though, the team gets on a roll. In Vic, the Bengals finally have someone with cred they can respect, like Adebisi and Oz, you know. Cedric Benson gets rolling. Jerome Simpson in the receiving core is bolstered by free agent signee Plexico Burris. Pac-Man Jones is in the fold. It's the best jailhouse team since Paul Cruz Mean Machine. And Mike Vic is hailed as the best friend a cat named Bengal ever had. And that's the NFL. <laughs> What do you think, Greg? Well done. You like that? I really like it. You know what? I wouldn't have put the two, to, two together about Vic going to Cincinnati because there were so many spots he could have gone to, but it makes complete sense for the – what? That that just is – Vic said. Remember Vic yes. said that that's where Goodell one of the two spots. There or Buffalo? That would have been another fun Buffalo, direction to go. That's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick. This dream wouldn't be playing out right where now. Where would he perhaps. be type of thing? Would he have landed in Cincinnati? What would the difference have been? Like Vic is a guy that, as you mentioned, you know, the – the the near do wells of Cincinnati look up to would they have resented Fitzpatrick? I, you know what? I don't know about that. That's an alternate universe, Adam. <laughs> We're not going into an alternate universe, though. It's time for us to get into the DeLorean and go into the future. How say Ooh, you? I love it. Okay. This is what makes time travel possible: the flux capacitor. It's the future. Whoa. Whoa. Man, these weekends are getting tough. Your acting is really improving. And you're not a young guy either. You got to be careful what you're doing. <laughs> I wouldn't want to fall down in the Whoa. future. I don't know what the the state of uh, medical care is in the future. How does know. Doc Brown just jump out of there like nothing happened? He's throwing beer cans into the flux capacitor. We're like, oh, it doesn't seem like we're even leaving our chairs. These are heavy questions that I just can't address because I'm too excited to look back at week four in the NFL. Let's start off with what happened down in Dallas. The Detroit Lions went in there 3-0. and A lot of people, the Cowboys starting to put it together. A lot of people up in Detroit very happy now that their team sits at 4-0 and after a 27-23 victory. How say you, Rank? Their signature win of the season. That's what everybody said. Buffalo beat the Patriots. They wanted Detroit to beat a big-name team. They did it this week. All right. Next up, uh, the game down in Houston, staying in the in the Lone Star State there. No surprise to me. I saw this one coming a mile away. That Steelers defense not stopping the run, that's a big problem. It was a big problem. On Sunday against Arian Foster, Ben Tate, and the rest of them, Matt Schaub had his way 30-20. to the tw- 30 to 20, The Texans take care of the Steelers. Very surprised. We had talked on the – podcast earlier in the week on thursday i still like the titans to win that division but texans they impressed me here very good team they ain't no jive now new england patriots 10 years removed from the tuck rule game in foxborough travel out to the bay area to play the raiders this time 
The Patriots, no, no need for a tuck rule here. They smoke them 30-13. to 13. They seemed a little motivated. I think that loss to the Bills kind of pushed them forward. The Patriots look pretty strong. Tom Brady, true to his word, spread the ball all over the field, didn't just lean on Wes Welker. A lot of, lot of big uh, stats for a lot of guys on that team, and they actually stuffed the run a little bit there, did a nice job on McFadden and company. Lastly, the Sunday night tilt in Baltimore, the Jets – and the Ravens, a lot of people thought this was going to be a defensive struggle. Baltimore, though, that offense, for real, I've been saying it all year, Ray Rice, Joe Flacco, Torrey Smith, the uh, the extra now, the speed now stretching the field a little bit. Their defense is for real. A lot of questions with the Jets. Ravens win it 24-16. to Torrey Smith didn't have the three touchdowns that he had against St. Louis. His presence was enough. Anquan Bolden had a pretty good game. The Ravens' defense is for real. The Ravens look like the best team in the AFC. The Jets, I think, they're the pretenders that we all thought they were. Yeah, uh, you know, Nada, the dominant player in the AFC defensively. Mark Sanchez proving himself to be maybe a bit fraudulent that uh, as a as a man who as a leading man who's capable of taking his team to the Super Bowl. Seems weird for a USC quarterback to be not as good as advertised. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ravens, if they're not the best, the Texans are. But while we're here in Baltimore, should we get some crab ca- crab cakes or? I want to go, take go a- visit some of the locations in the wire. Yes, exactly. Let's go do that. It looks safe. Matter of fact, why don't you walk over there? I'm going to jump <laughs> in the DeLorean and head back to last week. We'll be back in front and after week five. All right, listen, we've covered a lot of ground here. We've said it all. Not one side, two sides, sides A and B. If somehow you missed side A and this is side B, I encourage you, go ahead to uh, iTunes. As always, we keep saying it. Subscribe on iTunes. Appreciate that. DaveDamashek.NFL.com. NFL.com's Adam Rank. Always look for his pick sixes. We didn't talk about the greatest collapses in, oh, in NFL history. Tell us number one. We had number one was, oh, number one, the 94 Philadelphia Eagles. Remember, they were 7-2, and 7-2. They went out, they crushed the 49ers in Week 5, 48, just annihilated them. They were 7-2, and two, had that that quirky loss, lost their last seven, went 7-9. Seven Rich Kotite actually was already campaigning for a new contract extension, was talking about being a free agent coach. That, a lot of people believe, is what led to their downfall. He went to the Jets. The Jets also thought it was a good idea the following year to add Neil O'Donnell. Enough said about that. So the Eagles were your worst collapse, not as bad as the Red Sox. They get the Red Sox, yeah, they get the Red Sox uh, award for biggest collapse in <laughs> NFL history. All right, so thanks to Elliot Harrison again. We've mentioned all the places you can track his work down. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.